We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. He is the short round to my indie. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Okay, we're getting right into it. As you might be able to tell, we are talking today about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth installment in the long-running Indiana Jones franchise starring the inimitable Harrison Ford. Yes, just uh, remember what, what Mike just said, the fifth. Some of you may have forgotten that there was a fourth. Because mm. it probably would have been better off for God. But this is the- Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna talk to all you Crystal Skull Kingdom of the Crystal Skull haters out there. <laughs> what what happened? Catch us up in what happened in uh, Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny, Jesse. Uh, this is gonna be a synopsis for this movie and all Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> there were Nazis. <laughs> uh the the movie begins uh with a flashback to uh the Allied liberation uh, of of Europe, just uh, you know, at the end of World War II, uh, the remaining Nazis are trying to uh, track uh, or, or or take possession of all the things that they had looted uh, because they know that uh, they are losing the war. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Indiana Jones and uh, uh, Toby Jones's character. Uh, which was quite confusing, I have to say, because Tommy Jones plays Basil Shaw in this, another archaeology professor, but he actually plays a part of Hydra, uh, also the Nazis. Dirt, right, in, German, in, yeah. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he was a good I, guy in this one. I, I, I fully I fully expected him to be a German bad guy when I saw him <laughs> on the screen, yeah. But uh, they they try to, to find... Um, uh, so they're looking for the sword that supposedly was used to kill Jesus. Uh, that was a fake. They end up finding what is referred to as uh, the Dial of Destiny uh, that uh, Archimedes uh, in uh, about 200 or, or so, 212 BCE, thought to uh, make that would control the future. And it was meant to be able to, t- to tell the future. Uh, the movie uh, that flashback scene ends with it being sort of divided in half. And then we meet an old kind of drunk, grumpy uh, Indiana Jones. He is a professor uh, now at Hunter College in the city, a uh, professor where nobody's listening to him. Nobody cares about. For, for our listeners, by the way, Hunter College in the city is is New York City. Sorry, in New York City. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he is not the adventurous soul that he was in the previous films uh he he is an old man who is on the edge of retirement as a professor um and he meets uh phoebe waller bridge that you know from fleabag um and she is uh his goddaughter he doesn't recognize her we also don't recognize her because the first time we met her father 
just Toby Jones' character was in the flashback. It would have been a lot cooler if she was related to somebody who we had seen in the previous films. We acknowledge that um, uh, his son is no more. Uh, that is uh, Shia LaBeouf's character. Mutt. Uh, and, and, and or, or Henry Jones the uh, Third. Well, it's 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 a really great way to uh, just write off. <laughs> right out, right, right, right out, right out that fourth up. movie, uh, without uh, pretending that fourth movie never existed by uh, by just writing out Shia LaBeouf uh, completely. And essentially, the movie is a search for um, this th- this second half of the dial. Uh, Helena Helena Shaw, Phoebe Waller Bridge's character, wants to. She's she's obsessed with this dial because this was um, her father's work. And then we see that there are still like modern day Nazis, modern day. Again, we're talking uh, uh, late 60s and 1969. But but Nazis who are uh, after search for this, um, including um, the the main bad guy. Right. Uh, who is played by Mads Mikkelsen, Jürgen Voller, I think I pronounced that correctly, uh, who survived the train ride fight falling off the train with Indy at the beginning of the film. And he's determined, we find out, to get this dial so he could go back in time to the war, kill Hitler, take control uh, uh, and power of Germany to make sure that the Nazis win the war because he thinks he could have done what Hitler was unable to do. Yes, you heard that right. This movie, like every other blockbuster film we've talked about for the past two years. Has Mads Mikkelsen in it. (laughs) That is also true. Has to do with time travel. Uh, I I, got to say that there was a big groan from me when I found out this movie was about time travel in the end. I was not prepared for that. Uh, That seemed, uh, I know Indiana Jones movies have a sort of magical elements to the archeological finds. Um, but, uh, that, that sort of threw me off. I I think that that was sort of jumping the shark a little bit. Uh, they end up back in, uh, uh, they, they make a mistake with turning the dial and back in 212 actually um, to the period at where Archimedes made the dial itself. And they find out that the dial was made uh, specifically so that in the future people would find it and go back to help in this siege of Syracuse Um you know, and, and help the, the Romans in that regard. Uh, this is a good this is a good opportunity for us to travel back in time and uh, remind our listeners that spoilers abound in this episode. <laughs> that's that's every episode, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then uh, they they return back to 1969, New York, um, and it is a difference. So it's it's is it the same New York City? Is it a different New York City? We're unclear at first, and then we find out it's the same New York City where uh, his wife. This is supposed to be. I think this was supposed to be a surprise cameo. Yeah. Um, I did not in my um, uh, theater. We didn't get the the same. Wow! That when Marion returns. Uh, as I, I think they would have expected, partially because a lot of people didn't recognize her because she has also aged. Um, but uh, she's reunited and she says, I was told that Indy is back, right? That he's back to his adventurous self. It's unclear if he's just been bitter since his son had died in Vietnam War or this was age. Uh, he, he, it's, it's unclear. Um, it was a fun movie. 
It was uh, a movie that was probably about a, a half hour too long. Uh, I think I would have enjoyed it more if it didn't have time travel involved. Uh, Antonio Banderas was a great character, I, I thought. Um, and it's very interesting. This is the first indie film where George Lucas or Steven Spielberg was not sort of at the helm of it. Um, and, and so I wonder if that shaped the story in any way. Mike, what did you think? Indie good, Nazis bad. What's your take? <laughs> uh, right. So, you know, I think that that all the indie movies can be boiled down to, you know, indie uh, is searching for the thing. Uh, there's also other people, you know, racing against indie to search for the thing and trying to stop him. He's trying to stop them. They find the thing uh, doesn't quite work the way uh, that anybody intends for it to do. And uh, and and uh, and drama ensues. Uh, listen, I, uh, I I I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, you know, I, I did not go in with a lot of expectations other than being a fan of the Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, generally speaking, I grew up with these movies. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think that, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and Last Crusade, uh, are, are two of the most, you know, perfect, uh, action adventure movies, uh, ever made, uh, for different reasons. I, I went to see this movie with my kids who are also big Indiana Jones fans at this point, my, my five-year-old and my eight-year-old. Interesting, so, mine are not. In, in, interesting parenting choices uh, aside, my five-year-old is totally in the tank for Indiana Jones. My five-year-old, by the way, uh, his favorite is Temple of Doom, um, which I think we can all, in my opinion, is the worst of the franchise, uh, worse even than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, um, well, I, I I would not agree with that. It's just very confusing because Temple of Doom is actually a prequel, uh, a prequel to yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and that's so, what throws you off. Uh, but we but we can get into it. Listen, I think that the issue of uh, what you know what people there are obviously problems with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not the best outing of Indiana Jones. Uh, uh, I think that that even fans of the movie like myself would agree. Um, but uh, to me. Uh, it, it is very much in the spirit of uh, of all the movies. Uh, the first three movies uh, really deal with uh, with the with the religious supernatural. Uh, and if the fourth movie had tread that ground again, uh, I think everyone would have had a different complaint about the movie, which is it's just rehashing the familiar. So really, the the only direction I think it could have plausibly gone and, and playing into the 1950-ness of the 1950s-ness of that movie was to make it about um, was to make it about uh, uh, um, extraterrestrial. So I actually I actually uh, thought that that was uh, hold on. I, so I thought that that was, uh, uh, to me, a uh, I was I was in it for for that. And then this one also, I think again, you have you know there was a, a head fake at the beginning, thinking that the movie was going to be about another religious artifact that had supernatural power that was going to you know enable Hitler to win the war, just like the Lost Ark time travel. Now I get I grant that there have been way too many movies recently about uh about time travel um and so in that sense it was you know not uh it was familiar ground to tread uh i think that they did some interesting things with it that that have not happened in recent time traveling movies um which we can maybe talk about um it, it was it, it played on the themes of the movie i think in really interesting ways i mean the movie was about time and about our struggles with time especially as we get older and i think that that was uh, worthwhile but i you know i think that this is a you know an alexander wept for there no were no more worlds to conquer kind of uh phenomenon uh because there's really no nothing else for uh no other um uh mcguffin 
for Indy to to be chasing um, uh, other than time uh, in in that sense. So I think it was like really the only direction the franchise uh, could have gone, uh, just in the same way that that it, uh, I felt for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So uh, I saw this movie with my kids um, uh, with a full theater. Uh, middle of the day on a on a Sunday afternoon, uh, and uh, and people were into it. It was a great way of seeing the movie. Uh, probably the way that these movies, you know, were always intended to be seen. Um, uh, it, it reminded me of my experience of seeing Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which you know, haters aside, the theater that I saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in enjoyed the heck out of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by virtue of their reactions. So that was true of this. My five-year-old who never sits through movies was on the edge of his seat the entire time. Um, I thought the action set pieces were great. I thought the story, okay, story a little thin. I thought the de-aging technology uh, visually was uh, was was good, used to uh, uh, you know serve the story in this case. Um, I, I think that the Achilles Hill heel of the de-aging technology um, is what's not visual, right? So uh, you saw this in The Irishman by uh, Martin Scorsese, where the, the look of the de-aging technology was fine, uh, but the movement of the people that were being de-aged looked like 80-year-olds. And in this case, right, we had you know, visually Harrison Ford looked like a young Harrison Ford, but did not sound like a young Harrison Ford. The 80 plus year old Harrison Ford's voice is different than 40 year old Harrison Ford's voice. Sure. And it was, and it was readily. So that was very jarring to me. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I thought thinness of the story aside, I thought the action set pieces were, were a lot of fun. I thought James Mangold did a good job. I think a worthy successor to Steven Spielberg uh, in carrying on the franchise. For me, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is always a welcome addition uh, to any project. I thought she added a lot to uh, to this movie. I thought Mads Mikkelsen was a, is, is always a, a, a compelling villain. I thought probably uh, the most compelling villain uh, in the indie franchise since uh, Belloc in, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I thought that what they did here with the Nazis... Uh, was interesting the idea of you know playing on that would you go back in time to kill Hitler uh and and that yes being, the, the Nazis would as well right. to make sure that they won right exactly was was I thought a really uh you know intriguing take uh on the whole uh time travel uh, bit um and uh, and and uh, provided a new angle of seeing you know Indy against the Nazis because here the Nazis are in league with the Americans in a lot of ways we talked about this when we uh, talked about the TV show Hunters uh, on Amazon with Al Pacino, uh, and uh, uh, you know we uh, we've been um, now Hollywood has really been exploring. I'm not sure exactly how to account for this, other than maybe this is just history that has recently come more to light. Uh, but the but the role that former uh, Nazi scientists played uh, in the development of the American space program uh, uh, with the with the um, uh, complicity, with the help, uh, with the knowledge uh, of the American government. Uh, and, sure. that, and having, I think is, having is, the modern times of 1969 in the film, right when Apollo 11 comes back, uh, you, I think that you're spot on about that. Yeah. So I think that that's, and I think that's, you know, the, and the film really raises that. I mean, you know, the first, the first, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the first and the third of the, of the series, you know, play on this, you know, Americans good, uh, Nazis bad. Um, and here we actually get into a little bit more murky territory because 
here the Americans are kind of bad too because they're in league with the Nazis. They're they're going the CIA is going after Indiana Jones um, because uh, uh, because they're trying to protect their Nazi scientists. Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I, I thought the de-aging technology at the beginning of the film was incredible. I agree with you that, all right, that an 80-year-old Harrison Ford sounds different than a 40-year-old Harrison Ford. That's fine. Um, I, I, I And I hesitate to say this because I don't want anybody to think that I'm ageist by any means. I think some of the action sequences were hard to believe uh, an 80-year-old Harrison Ford wow. You know, I don't, per, I don't per, think it's, I don't think it's I don't think it's ageist to say that. I think that 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 stood out to me as well. Um, as you know, th- there were moments where they actually you know showed Indiana Jones saying like, "I can't do this climb. I have bad shoulders," and you know that was and, believable. And then he's like fighting some guy, and right. like that's and, not believable, you know, right? And and I think that what one thing that was always really compelling to me about the Indiana Jones series, and and why I think even Harrison Ford liked playing this character more than some other characters that he's played, is that he he does have a a vulnerability to him that other action heroes don't have, right? He is a sort of mild mannered professor that gets thrust into these adventurous situations or thrusts himself into these adventurous situations, um, but he's not a superhero. He has to use his smarts and his cunning, like that. You know that initial scene, uh, that that scene in uh, in in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's uh, fighting that you know giant uh, uh, Nazi uh, um, by the airplane, uh, and uh, and you know is is losing the fight, but then does the giant Nazi doesn't see the plane's propellers coming up right behind him, and he you know and, and India just ducks, uh, or you know when uh, when when um, uh, uh, you know when. Uh, um, uh, earlier in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he has to use his smarts. So he has to use his brains in addition to his brawn. Um, and, and I think that that was kind of lost in, in this uh, in, in this installment. There, there was a, a, a an over-reliance on Indy's physicality that was jarring considering his age. I think that's fair. Um, I, I also think um, less people think that I'm just uh, throwing shade on... Uh, DC films. Um, I, I think we have to acknowledge that this movie financially also hasn't done well. Um, that 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 many have considered it a flop, considering that it opened uh, on a holiday weekend. Right, this is a tenth-pole weekend for for big summer movies. Right, you had a five-day weekend, um, and. This was a very expensive movie to make. It had yeah. a, a budget of over $300 million. It opened uh, over the weekend uh, with a domestic gross of $60 million. You bring it to the five-day total um, was closer to, you know, in the 80s. Um, I but- was, I was, uh, I had read that the five-day total is closer, uh, maybe even over 100. But but the point is granted. I, I think it's hard to, it's hard to have that conversation Without re- remembering, this is going. You know, this this uh, episode is going to uh, come out after our episode on the Flash, uh, which we recorded last week. Um, and 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 I wonder if there are similar phenomena at play. I think that that generally speaking, um, people are not yet uh, ready to consider this um, a, a flop on the level of the, of the Flash. It might yet make back uh, its money, um, uh, but certainly Crit- has not. Critics performed... did not. Critics did not love this either. Uh, I will I, say I, that I feel critics, like the critics critical... on. Critics on, on Rotten Tomatoes, for what it's worth, 
uh, give a better score to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull than this film, although the audience score of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is much worse. Yeah, well, listen, I think uh, there, there may be, first of all, I, I, uh, my, uh, my, my issues with Rotten Tomatoes are, are well-documented. Um, and I think that um, uh, uh, audience response to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, may have been uh, skewed uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which um, is that it was, you know, the, the first Indiana Jones movie in in, in 20 years, uh, give or take, when it came out, uh, and, uh, and and people's expectations for it, um, I think, were, were uh, inevitably going to be disappointed. Um, uh, and and people didn't like the, uh, the you know, extraterrestrial uh, uh, spin on it, whatever. Uh, but... Uh, my my take on on this one was that the critical response was you know was was somewhat mixed and uh, uh, tending toward the positive, um, but this was like audience crowd pleasing movie. I I'm I'm not yet prepared to say that this was, uh, and I don't think Disney's probably prepared to say that this was a, a flop on the level of of the Flash. I think that the jury's still out on on what will happen. I do wonder though if some of the same you know issues plague this movie in terms of critical and audience reaction um, as plagued The Flash. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about the issues of uh, The Flash's star. Um, but uh, in that conversation, you know, um, uh, what I what I noted and we spent some time talking about was that, you know, audience response to a movie um, is, uh, is, is a blunt instrument to tell studios, you know, what to make and what not to make in, in the future. Uh, they can get all the wrong uh, responses from a movie. And, and you were suggesting, uh, if I remember correctly, I don't want to mischaracterize your position, um, that uh, that the audience response to that, to The Flash, was largely related to uh, their misgivings about uh, about Ezra Miller, which may or may not I, I, be true. Right. And so therefore, hold on. And so therefore... And so that therefore, was a, that maybe, was a part of it. A part. And of so it. therefore, maybe you know the message that that uh, Warner Brothers would get or DC would get is you know not to do business with with people like that in the future. Um, you don't have that uh, issue in in this case, uh, at least as far as we know. Um, uh, you know, so so here we have a, a um, you know audience reaction to a movie based on you know maybe the merits of the movie maybe you know fatigue with over-reliance on cgi maybe fatigue fatigue with with uh with ip i i have a hard time believing that warner brothers isn't going to look at this right and say oh the issue with the flash um is not ezra miller per se but people didn't like the over-reliance on cgi people are tired of the same old ip uh you know of, of like ongoing franchises look at the issues with marvel and see the same thing people there's just franchise fatigue potentially i i think franchise Fatigue may be may be true. I also think, and I mean this lovingly, right? Are there films <laughs> that were incredible films for its period of time, right? That that's uh, the the Indiana Jones films came out um, in the eighties. That were they great for the period of time, but aren't as interesting in a world where we have um right right where where we depend on CGI more right that this was a this was a movie that that was that used different types of special effects not CGI um I I, I also do wonder about the IP question um 
I don't know who was clamoring for another Indiana Jones film. I have friends who I saw this with who like, this is the, the way I am with Marvel. This is how they are with Indiana Jones. And, and we're super psyched. Um, after 2008, Right. All right. Maybe there was yeah, Disney shareholders were clamoring for another Indiana Jones movie. I think for, that's for, who was clamoring for another. For sure, movie. but yeah. for sure, but right, but but like 15 years after the last movie that did not do well, right? Who's who's saying, hey, let's put an 80 something year old Harrison Ford in an action film, um, hoping that the money for this film would come from nostalgia, right? And I think the same thing is true with the Flash. By the way, half of the trailer for the Flash. The part that got me super excited when I saw the trailer for The Flash was the Michael Keaton, Keaton right. Batman stuff, right? right? Hoping you are banking on people our age, right? And those in their, their 40s or, or 50s, right? Who remember seeing the 1989 Batman, who remember seeing the Indiana Jones trilogy in the 80s, uh, who are super excited. The problem is that... Uh, we're less interested in going to the movies as we once were. We're going with our children. So the movies that we're seeing are not the, the same. Uh, it's not always our decision. And we see those of a different generation, generation below us, their memory of Indiana Jones is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? And so they, if that's what they remember, then they're saying, why am I going to wait 15 years to see a sequel to that if that uh, wasn't an overwhelming success, according to uh, audiences. Yeah, no, I think, listen, I think that the issue of nostalgia here is is worthwhile for us to talk about, um, you know, both from a, a pop culture perspective and from a Jewish and from perspective. From a Jewish perspective. Um, so a few things I want to say about it. The first is Indiana Jones has, it, it, the franchise itself has a really interesting relationship with the with nostalgia. The, the original films um, were... We're, we're all deliberately throwbacks to older, you know, 1940s, 1930s uh, Hollywood serials. That was deliberately what George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were trying to do. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and, and there is uh, at this point as much time difference uh, distance between uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and those older serials uh, as there is between uh, this movie and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So uh, so now we're in a stage where this is, you know, a movie that is playing on nostalgia for a movie that was playing on nostalgia. Uh, and 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 it's it's almost like, you know, uh, photocopying a Xerox. Right. And and you you get a fuzzier image, uh, a more a more uh, a, a diluted image when, when you do that. So I think that that's that's uh, for starters. But the movie itself, I think, was commenting on nostalgia right in some ways that's really what indiana jones is, is you know he's an archaeologist he's his life is about digging up the past right you know his his famous line is but his students are bored in the classroom right future generations now they are aren't now they are right the they and i think that they're so i think that that's actually an interesting comment right on the one level you know there is this hunger i think still for for nostalgia right you know the still you know the the leading front the the front runner candidate for the Republican nomination for president is still the one who pledges to make America great again, right? Um, and I think that we that there that there is this yearning for a bygone era um, within with within our culture, within our within uh, within our uh, our politics, within our pop culture. Um, that is, I think, both understandable and uh, and and potentially dangerous. Um, and also that is that's like paired with a a a. a um, a refusal uh, or a, a boredom 
to like actually seriously engage with history. So you have that in this movie. You have this, you know, uh, uh, the the protagonist is like longing for this bygone era um, and his students couldn't possibly be bothered with it, right? Couldn't care less about it. Um, and, and you have that tension at, at the heart of the movie. We have that tension in Judaism too, where we have, you know, this, uh, uh, every week we say, Chadesh Yamenu Kekerem, right? Uh, that that we, we want, you know, to renew our days as of old. And simultaneously, we have a, a thread in our tradition that says, you know, do not say of bygone eras, you know, uh, that, that those days were better. Right. Uh, and and uh, and and a recognition that, you know, that the that the future belongs to the, the present and to future generations uh, and that we ought not look back or, or feel too anchored uh, by our longing for for the past. Yeah, um, I, I think that that's how we hold on to 3000 plus years of Jewish tradition. Um, the difference, though, I would say, is that synagogues get stuck in the muck and fail when they are only focusing on nostalgia as the entry point uh, to bring people into Jewish community, uh, right? That That's saying that uh, people aren't looking for their grandparents' congregation, or most people aren't looking for their grandparents' congregation, right? They are looking for a Judaism that is authentically uh, different, feels familiar, but different, right? Um, I, if I brought my children, you know, to the last blockbuster store, and I think it's in Bend, Oregon, um, if I brought them there to show them, like, this was what every Saturday night of my youth was like, and it was the best thing ever. You'd spend an hour just searching uh, and finding that film and that sort of thing. And they were like, why is this fun when you could do this on your couch? Right. It's not that it's a different thing. It's still searching for a movie to watch a family movie night, but they think the way I did it that I have fond memories of is so archaic and outdated be because it is. So I think I, I think I would push on on all of that and say, you know, what people, right? Because I have plenty of congregants uh for whom uh the, the nostalgia factor uh is is enormous, right? And clearly Hollywood thinks that the nostalgia factor is enormous. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't be investing three hundred million dollars in a movie about nostalgia. But Hollywood so, Hollywood is wrong. They're going to lose a lot uh, of money we, on this film. We, they may be wrong about this film. I, I don't know if they're going to uh they were wrong about the, the flash. Right? I, I just don't know if they're going to see that they're wrong in general about the lure of listen, Disney is a whole a a, 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 a multi-billion dollar corporation that is built on the appeal of nostalgia, right? Uh, that's what drives its theme parks. They're turning their theme parks into movies in order to play on nostalgia. I, I just don't agree that uh, that nostalgia isn't isn't big business. And I don't necessarily agree that nostalgia isn't what people are looking for in synagogues. I think nostalgia is one of the uh, elements that explains the success of Chabad. Um, so I, I'm not sure that I necessarily I, I, I don't find it compelling um, as a as a as an entry point into into Judaism. I agree that uh, that that um, that if we're not uh, uh uh, adapting our tradition uh, uh, to, uh, to to make sense in a contemporary era, to be compelling and meaningful and relevant in the contemporary era, then, then what are we doing? I'm just saying that from a, a sheer business standpoint, from the business of synagogue standpoint, I'm not sure that nostalgia isn't the winning formula. And uh, I'll say, I'll, I'll put it in even more stark terms. Your kids, I think, are different than my kids. 
my kids, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be interested if I took them to a blockbuster say, I used to love coming here, but they, if, if I didn't say that and just took them to a blockbuster and said, you could pick out any movie in here that you want and we'll go home and watch it and we get to keep it for a week. Then you can come back and, and get another one. Um, I actually think that they would really enjoy that. They would love, uh, they love going to the library. They love going to the books and actual bookstore can you believe it they go to the bookstore and browse around for they would spend hours in a bookstore browsing around they're not going on they 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 don't they could care less about going on amazon they want the the physical now it's not nostalgia for them they're not they're not doing that because they you know they have these fond memories of doing it in in the past um you know i actually have less fond memories about going to blockbuster uh, and i'm uh, grateful that netflix exists i could do it from the comfort of my couch but but um, they are rediscovering um, those old form forms independent of the nostalgia and appreciating them on their own merits. I am not saying that there's not a place for nostalgia. And I'm not saying that there aren't people uh, within the Jewish community that come to synagogue purely for that nostalgia. Uh, I, I'm just saying that the, the challenge of Jewish community is we need to look both simultaneously as how do we meet the needs of multi-demographics, right? You can't only bank on nostalgia because future generations aren't coming in because of nostalgia, right? They want a Judaism that is relevant to them, a Judaism that 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 may look like that of their parents and grandparents, but, but likely uh, looks very different. Uh, I remember a story that uh, Chancellor Emeritus uh, uh, Arnie Eisen the Jewish Theological Seminary told that the first time he went to visit his adult daughter uh, for the weekend and they went to synagogue together and the, the shul that she went to said it looks completely different than the shul he took her to as a child. Uh, the, the Davin experience was different. Um, and, and he said, this is not the, this is not what we grew up doing. Um, and he realized that of course, Right. The Judaism that she chooses for herself actually, and this is coming from him as a sociologist, actually shouldn't look the same as a Judaism that he grew up with or that that he or that the Judaism that his grandparents experienced or previous generations or the Judaism that we experienced in 17th century Poland. Right. The Judaism in Richmond, Virginia, where you are, Mike, in 2023 looks different than the Judaism where I'm at in 2023, South Orange, New Jersey. That's we need to meet people where they are and we need to meet their needs. Nostalgia is important and nostalgia is, you're right, Chadesh Ketem is a key part of our history, but we can't only bake on that. Yeah, I, listen, I think that, you know, one of these, uh, one of, there's a there's a, a an issue here that we're not naming, um, which is, I think, really important, which is, you know, we're, we're essentially the first generation in Jewish history um, that, uh, that that is trying to uh, uh, cultivate community with so many uh, um, generations uh, simultaneously in a context where the differences between generations and the needs of, of and and uh, um, uh, interests, uh, uh, mindsets, uh, approaches to the world of different generations are so radically different one from another because of the pace of of change, especially technological change, but all sorts of, of, of changes that have happened in our society. And so holding community for all those different demographics simultaneously is really hard, um, especially when uh, the, the the people who, you know, uh, uh, make the most financial and, and sometimes uh, uh, 
uh, uh, time investment in those communities are the ones who uh, are uh, are on the older end of that spectrum uh, and relate to uh, to to those communities uh, based on their you know fond memories of what they of 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 uh, the Judaism that they experienced in in the past. So um, so the 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 real you know uh, stakeholders. Uh, in in community, sometimes uh, have a hard time. Uh, um, uh, you know, they, essentially, right? If you have a synagogue with both Arnie Eisen and his daughter, your synagogue has to appeal to both of them. Arnie Eisen is paying the money, and he doesn't realize that uh, um, that it's not about him; it's about his daughter. He wants to have Judaism for him too, right? Um, which he's entitled to, I think. Um, uh, you know, how do you how do you uh, hold and build community uh, in that kind of context um, when you're when you're trying to meet the needs simultaneously of of of, uh, of, of very different demographics, and that's uh, extremely hard. Um, nostalgia is a huge pull for the Arnie Eisens of the world, potentially. Um, not necessarily him in particular, but uh, people who, you know, who relate to Judaism in a particular way, that is not going to be what's compelling for their children and grandchildren. Um, so how do you how do you have one congregation that meets both of their needs, especially when the uh, the, the money's coming from the older demographic? It's really it's really hard from where I sit. And I think a larger congregation, it's easier because you can have multiple things going on. Uh, you may have the professional staff uh, to meet multiple needs, multiple demographics at the same time. But a, a smaller institution may not have that luxury, may not have that flexibility. And you're trying to uh, meet everybody's needs simultaneously, um, which is a real challenge. Or in a or in a smaller market, right, where where you know there are fewer synagogues, and so therefore you know more of a uh, a, a push uh, to be uh, to be bigger tents uh, to to you know accommodate uh, uh, more uh, into any one more sensibilities into any one given institution. Um, it's it's not easy, um, uh, you know. So and I think that that's we're seeing that paralleled in 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 the culture too, right? So you know, uh, Disney wants to harvest the money from uh, millennials and Gen Xers like me who have these fond memories of Indiana Jones while also uh, trying to build a new generation of Indiana Jones fans. Um, and that is really hard to do simultaneously. We see that in Star Wars, right? Uh, so Star Wars is is harvesting, you know, I'm just giving uh, Disney all of my money when it comes to Star Wars. Uh, my kids will tolerate Star Wars, certainly some uh, properties of Star Wars, so, some Damn. stories, uh, but they're not like in they don't the diehard yeah. die Star Wars fans. I, I think I think that that's true. And the question is, right, do we love Star Wars? Are we all in because of our relationship for most of our life with this IP? Right? If I if the first Star Wars thing I ever saw was the Mandalorian, would I be as obsessed with Star Wars as my first introduction to this galaxy far, far away? I'm not sure. Um, and and I, I think you're you're right about that. So then is the real issue that they're just too much out there? Right, that that uh, studios don't know what to do because there are too many uh, studios. We we see that where we're really hitting the tipping point with the streaming wars, which we've talked about several times. And there's a lot of shifting going on, removing content from streaming services for tax write-offs, uh, never releasing films because of tax write-offs. Um, is there just 
less creativity, right? That, that there aren't as many new projects. Are new projects less and less successful? Pixar, Pixar Forever was was uh, a a cash cow for Disney in creating new content. Uh, and the past few Pixar films, which have come out, which have been great, have not made money at the box office. Um, and, and so is is that a challenge that people aren't interested in new content, new IP? Is it a challenge that uh, younger generations can't sit through a two-hour movie, let alone a two-and-a-half-hour movie, right? My children ha- have trouble sitting through a 30-minute television show. They much prefer a six-minute YouTube video. Listen, I think I think all of these are issues, right? And uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, movie studios uh, are are businesses. Uh, you you know, often part of uh, you know huge uh, entertainment conglomerates like like Disney, right? And uh, and and so you know, the, they're uh, they're they're making bets uh, on uh, on you know what's going to turn a profit. Um, and so the, you know their their feeling is they can invest three hundred million dollars in if they're going to invest three three hundred million dollars into something right it better be a, a they're more likely to do it in a known entity uh, because uh, because the name recognition alone will you know drive up uh, interest and uh, and 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 boost ticket sales it will fuel you know it'll fuel entry you know people will come to the theme parks to go on the Indiana Jones ride or to see the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular right so I, I get it from a from a business decision right it's the same thing that like you know uh, I I don't necessarily begrudge uh, my uh, my lay leaders who like just want to do you know the old tunes that they all remember uh, or to you know to move uh, Shabbat services back to the time that it was when they were kids and have and have an oneg after the way it was when they remember um because uh because from a from a from a pure you know uh a capitalist perspective like uh, you 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 you're you're uh more willing to bet on a on a thing that you believe to be a sure thing um and uh and you know and I think that I I think one of the challenges that we're seeing right now is that the sure things uh, are are not so sure, right? Marvel is another example of this uh, that you know uh, just a few years ago was was a sure thing. It wasn't a sure thing initially. It was existing IP, but they took a real risk in bankrolling an Iron Man movie, a Captain right. America movie. Um, so I do think that uh, that what I hope is that studios will realize um, that they have to take more risks, that they have to be more original in in this marketplace. Um, uh, you know, I think that this that that. Uh, prestige TV and streaming um, has given more of an outlet for that kind of creativity um, that maybe will uh, become increasingly translated uh, into, into cinema. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I still think that there's room for movies. I do think the movies are too long nowadays, uh, even for me. And I have more of an attention span than my five-year-old. Um, uh, but, you know, but, uh, and I don't think that the issue is you know, uh, existing IP in and of itself. I think that you could take a, a existing IP like Spider Man and do something really interesting with it, like the like the creators of the Spider Verse movies uh, are are doing, um, and that make a bajillion dollars, right? So they're do they're taking existing IP but doing something unique with it. We'll see with the upcoming Barbie movie, right? Existing IP looks like they're doing something really interesting with it. We'll see how that turns a profit. So I don't think it's a problem with like taking the tried and true, but you got to do something creative with it. Yeah, no, I I think that 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 is true. I also think what you said is really important. We cannot assume that just because something was successful, that it will continue to be successful. And I think that that is where uh, synagogues, that is where Jewish 
institutions as a whole uh, fail, right? That they they are very set in their ways and say, this is how things have always been done without being willing to think outside the box, without being willing to try something differently. Um, and and that's, I think, the, the task for us. That's a task for um, our, our colleagues. That's a task for the Jewish community as a whole, that finding that balance between nostalgia and trying something new, nostalgia does not mean that th- we do things the way they've always been done. We do things that connect the currents to the past and find meaning in the past while still making it relevant uh, for the future. Yeah, and I, that's why I, I, I uh, and I know it's, uh, it's, it's going to end up being controversial, but I, I, I appreciated the ending of this movie in a way um, because I think it plays on that idea, right? Indies. Uh, Which part? Think- the time travel part. Uh, the time travel part and the like ultimate ending of, you know, so uh, di- uh, Indy wants to stay in 213, uh, um, you know, with with Archimedes in the siege of Syracuse. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge doesn't allow him. Uh, but so Indy's, uh, you know, famous line uh, that's that's come up in a few movies is, you know, this belongs in a museum. Right. Um, that's a whole other thing is is uh, uh, Indy's uh, love for museums uh, is is I think challenging in in, the, in this contemporary era where there's a reckoning over where museums have gotten their collections. Right. Uh, but um, right. it's, it's it's very white man of him. Yeah. But but uh, that idea that you know the past deserves to be preserved and appreciated, right? And he's essentially res- resigned himself in that moment. Like I'm going to just be part of the past, right? I'm going to be ancient history. Um, I'm going to belong. I belong in a museum too, right? Someone says that to him. I think in in uh, in in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? He says that this belongs in a museum, and they say so do you, right? Um, so yes, uh, so Indy says that, uh, but then Phoebe Waller-Bridge says no. You still have something to offer the you know modern world, and I think that that's true of of Judaism too. I, I don't I don't think that everything that's in the past of Judaism you know just belongs in a museum. Put the you know past behind us like preserve it, appreciate it for what it was. I do think, you know, that's the idea of Chadesh Yamenu Kekerem, right? That we that we can take what's old about Judaism um, that was meaningful, timeless wisdom and, and, and ancient traditions um, and not just appreciate it for what it was, but but harvest how it could actually bring meaning and 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 value and inspiration and hope to our present. Um, that's why I so appreciated uh, um, Marion Ravenwood in this movie and and Karen Allen in general. Um, so uh, famously, she was brought essentially out of retirement for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, you know about uh, whatever it was. You know, ten years back. That's 2008, um, 15 yeah. years ago. Uh, oh, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, and uh, and she, you know, she uh, essentially did not do another movie uh, after Raiders of the Lost Ark, essentially went to retirement, became a private citizen. Um, and you can see that right? she is not uh, um, like got into the Hollywood, uh, you know, beauty industrial complex. She still looks beautiful, even in this movie, uh, um, you know, as she's getting older, but she's not, you know, uh, a, a Hollywood star who uh, banks on her, on, on her image in the same way. I, I love that, that sort of aging gracefully, um, but still having like love uh, and, and connection to the past, but, uh, but something to offer in the present um, is, is I think, just a really beautiful image for the movie to end on is, you know, let's all appreciate the, the Karen Allen's, the Marion Ravenwoods of the world who is, you know, who are unafraid of, of, of growing older, um, knowing that they are not disconnected from their past, um, that they still bring their memories to bear into the present, but that they still have something meaningful to offer right now. 
Yeah, I just wish it was a better movie. <laughs> well, let us know what you thought of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Are you uh, are you standing for it like me, or are you uh, a little bit softer on it, like uh, 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 sour on it, like like Jesse? Uh, does it belong in a museum? Uh, or uh, should it uh, be resigned to the dustbin of history? We want to know what you think about it uh, and Indiana Jones in general. Um, and are you a fan of the very underrated young Indiana Jones television show? Oh, yeah. Love that. Um, and, uh, you know, let's. I think that there's just moments for appreciating uh, uh, all that this great franchise uh, has, has given us. Maybe we should uh, conclude uh, the way the movies are meant to be concluded with with just uh, nigooning out on uh, the Raiders March, that Indiana Jones uh, theme song that just gives me all the feels every time I hear it. What do you think, Jesse? All right, uh, we could we could do that. Uh, I'm I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, and I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone. Yeah, na 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 Yeah, na 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 na